You're listening to Once, episode 233, Labor of Love. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jacqueline. And we're happy to have you with us. We have watched this episode a couple times now, and we've got some great research to share with you, some great information, some great discussion here, and some of your great feedback as well. And in previous episodes, I want to say this up front, in previous episodes, we've been missing some of the feedback due to certain issues we've had on our side. But we've got those issues ironed out. So if you've been missing hearing some of your theories and such in the podcast, get back to sending us those theories because we'd love to include them and questions you have about what might be going on in certain things. And all of that contact information is on the website at oncepodcast.com. Let's start off with uh, talking about the past for this episode. I felt like the flashbacks here with Young Snow White were really following a hero's journey formula. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I normally when I think about the hero's journey, I always kind of think about it for Emma Swan, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say about Snow. Yeah, the, the hero's journey, or also called monomyth, and Jacqueline knows a lot more about this than I do because of its origins <laughs> in Greek mythology. Jacqueline is our Greek mythology expert here. But uh, the hero's journey, in short, is basically the formula that you see used in almost every movie or story where there's some kind of hero. The, there are certain variations here and there on certain points, but the basic formula is the call to adventure, refusal of the call, supernatural aid, crossing the threshold, belly of the whale, the road of trials, the meeting with the goddess, woman as temptress, atonement with the father, apotheos, the ultimate boon, refusal of the return, the magic flight, rescue from without... The Crossing of the Return Threshold, Master of Two Worlds, Freedom to Live. Now, that's the original way to describe it, and this has been simplified, and there are slightly different interpretations on this throughout the years, but it's basically this idea that here's a hero who is called to do something, refuses the call, there's some kind of mentor or guide for them that helps them get over some point, they have some low point, then they have a high point again, they face some victory, then they face a trial, then they face a victory again, the final battle, they refuse to go back. This is the stuff we see in stories. And you can see this in pretty much every story with a hero. You see this hero's journey. And I see Snow White going through this in uh, a little bit in the present day, but more so this this becoming a hero in the flashbacks, it was really neat to see how did Snow White go from being that selfish little princess who talked to her mom about wanting to wear the crown to the brave princess and queen that we see today. And that's the hero's journey. And I think that the flashbacks in this episode were showing us that nice change from princess to hero. I really like that. I do. When you think monomyth, you do tend to think of the big cosmic battle that the hero kind of has to face. And, you know, they're facing the forces of darkness and death and destruction and chaos and whatnot. But there is 
also usually a component of an internal monomyth where the hero comes to a self-actualization where they realize who they need to be or who they want to be. And by the time they get to the end of their journey, and it's always envisioned as a big circle. So you start at point A and you kind of make this journey and come back home. Um, and so by the end of that, they know who they want to be. You know, Luke accepts that he is a Jedi for the Force. Harry knows he's the chosen one. So, you know, for Snow to go from scared little princess to knowing that she is someday going to rule this kingdom is, yeah, it's definitely that kind of journey. And helping her along the way are the peasants, it's Hercules, it's even Regina. Even though Regina (laughs) doesn't want to help Snow become the hero, she does help. You can see Regina already manipulating the situation there, trying to make everyone hate Snow which helps gives a little bit more background to why didn't Regina kill Snow earlier on when she could have more easily done it, you know, just taking that necklace that Snow was wearing and just tightened it around that little girl's (laughs) neck. Oh, wait, she already envisioned doing that. (laughs) You know, that was one of my favorite parts about this flashback was getting to see some Snow and Regina interaction that didn't involve the grown-up Snow, because we've seen so little of young Snow White, apart from really the stable boy when Regina and Snow met. Oh, yeah. Now, they're in the throne room when Snow is being asked by her people to help them. At first, I thought, whoa, that lead peasant, it's Jacob from Lost. No, sorry, it's not. He looks very similar from certain angles, but that is not the same actor who plays Jacob from Lost. So, sorry to disappoint you. I probably would have freaked out if it was really Jacob. (laughs) It would have been nice. And maybe at some point, because the writers also worked on Lost, and Lost is another TV show that follows the same pattern. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Probably one of the best TV shows ever. But uh, because some of the writers worked on it, there are a lot of crossover actors. And it could be cool if someday we get to see Jacob appear, even just for an episode. Maybe not as the character Jacob, but... Or that could be cool. No, he needs to appear as Jacob. It would be amazing. (laughs) If he was going to, this would be a good season to do it because a lot of Lost Uh also ties in with Greek mythology. And I'm just labeling this half of the season the Greek mythology story arc. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that's why we're going to try and get you on every episode possible of the podcast because you have so much more experience there. Yeah, definitely had to pull out some of my old textbooks and notes from, you know, my many years of school. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you think of young Hercules? I thought he did a pretty nice job. He's pretty young. Um, I almost kind of wish they had cast a little bit of an older actor, or at least made him look not so teenage-ish. But they were, I think, kind of clearly following some of the Disney storyline here. And he is a bit younger. He's just kind of come into manhood in the Disney movie. But I overall, I thought the actor did a really nice job. Yeah. And how does an actor that young get muscles that big? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, he certainly fit the part very well. Yeah. So a little bit about Hercules, because he is probably the most popular heroic figure from the Greco-Roman world. I mean, you say Hercules, Everybody knows who he is. It doesn't matter how much Greek mythology you actually know in your head. He's known for his strength, his agility. He's great at any kind of sports. He's really good at clubbing things over the head. 
Um, I went back through a lot of my ancient Greek notes and was like, yeah, he's got a bit of a fixation with his club. Um, he's also, you know, really healthy because he's immortal. He's kind of just this image of the perfect man. He's just supposed to be this big, strong brute force. But there are some things that the show got right, but that the Disney movie doesn't. And I kind of want to clear up some of those things. So uh, he's right that he's a demigod. He is not fully divine. In the Disney movie, they made his mother Hera, who is Zeus's wife. This is 100% wrong because Hera loathed Hercules. Um, a lot of the stuff that I'm going to go through tonight, if you're looking for someone to blame, it's probably Hera. She does horrible, horrible things to Hercules. Um, she actually prevented him from being born on a specific day so that he couldn't become high king. And this other king would end up become, becoming king and kind of make Hercules's life really miserable as well. That's Hera. She's fun that way. Um, his mother was Alcimene, who is reported to be, you know, extraordinarily beautiful. Um, she spent like three days in labor and almost died because he was just so hefty and strong, even back then. A couple fun stories about him. He once battled snakes as an infant. Um, his his nanny came in and just saw him like playing with these snakes as if they were toys. And the Disney movie actually riffs on this where they have young baby Hercules take the snakes and kind of bang them over the head like he thinks it's hilarious. Oh. Yeah. Nice. So so there is some truth in the Disney movie about and, Hercules. And one of the big things here, although Hercules is primarily an ancient Greek demigod, the name Hercules is the Roman form of the yeah. name. Yeah, he's Heracles in Greek. And thank you for pronouncing that properly. Yeah, I was going to mispronounce it. I'm glad you spoke up. <laughs> and uh, in this this meeting that we have between Snow and Hercules, which we'll be calling him that, that's what they're calling him. He said that he can't join his father on Mount Olympus until he completes the 12 labors. And so that ties into why when he's able to pass on from the underworld, why he's going to Mount Olympus. In our initial reactions, Aaron and I were kind of a little bit confused of, are they saying Mount Olympus is the heaven or the someplace better? But no, that's for him. He had to complete these things and then that makes him immortal. Then he can go to Mount Olympus. So I think that for him, he is not going on to quote heaven but he's going on to the kingdom where he was meant to be because he completed his 12 labors. But what are the 12 labors? Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So I'm not going to go through all of them because there are 12 and they're pretty extensive, but I will hit some of my personal favorites and the ones that are, I think the most fun. It's important to know that this is another instance where the Disney movie and actually the show get it really wrong. So Back to Hera and her absolute hatred of Hercules, she temporarily drove Hercules mad. And while he was under this temporary madness, he kills his wife, Meg, and their two children. When he snaps out of this madness, he obviously feels really, really bad. And so he ends up going to Delphi, which is the site of the biggest temple um, in Greek culture. And he talks to the Pythia, who kind of runs the joint. 
and he asks what he should do to atone for this. And the Oracle sends him to this king, who is basically Hercules's sworn enemy. This is the equivalent of sending Rumple to Hook and telling Rumple that he has to do whatever Hook tells him to do. And the king set him ten labors. It became twelve because the king was really mean and decided to discount two of them because Hercules had, quote, help. So he ended up doing 12. The first one is the lion that Hercules talked about in the episode. Um, he did try a great many things to kill this lion, but like our Hercules said, the fur was really tough and you couldn't get anything through it. So he eventually clubbed the lion and then strangled it with his bare hands. There was no fire. But um, afterwards, and this is kind of a big thing to the iconography of Hercules, he takes one of the lion's claws, cuts off all the fur, and wears it as a pelt. So if you ever see images of Hercules, chances are he's wearing this big lion cape thing. Okay. Yeah, I have seen that. Mm -hmm. There's the hydra, which most people probably know about, where you cut off one head and two grow back. Um, it was really hard, and when he finally figured out to scorch the stumps of the heads so they wouldn't regrow back, Hera got really angry and sent a giant crab to distract him. Hercules stepped on it and then proceeded to cut off the one head that wouldn't grow back, and the Hydra died. One of the funnier labors is he was sent to clean out some stables of a local king, this was supposed to be humiliating instead of difficult. They wanted to humiliate Hercules. The stables had over 1,000 cattle and had not been cleaned in 30 years. So you can imagine the state of those stables. Pretty gross. And he ended up cleaning them by rerouting rivers. And this is one of those that gets discounted by the king because he claimed that Hercules um, had taken payment for doing this labor, he took some of the cattle and he kind of hadn't really cleaned them himself. Okay, so one of my personal favorites is the apples of the Hesperides. The Hes Hesperides are these nymphs that live in this really gorgeous garden on the western part of the world. He was sent there to pick some of their apples. It was pretty much thought to be impossible. But along the way, he encounters Atlas, who is a titan that holds the world on his shoulders. And Hercules is so strong that even as a demigod, he can hold the world on his back while Atlas goes and gets the apples. And then he tricks Atlas into taking the globe back by saying that he needs to adjust his clothing because Atlas was going to leave him stranded there. So he's also pretty smart. And then the one that matters most for us is capturing Cerberus. He is originally initiated into the illusion mysteries which is the cult of demeter and persephone and i'm kind of still waiting for those two figures to show up this season i'm hoping they will um, persephone is hades queen and demeter is her mother and their story is very famous it was actually disney's first princess story i don't know if you knew that no, I thought I always thought that Snow White was Disney's first princess. Right. Yeah. There was an article that came out not long ago. Um, we actually have it at the forums if anyone's interested, that there was this Rite of Spring, I believe it was called, little thing that he made before he started Snow White. And it was the story of Persephone and Hades and Demeter. Okay. So Hercules didn't have to do much to capture the three-headed dog. 
he goes down into the underworld and he talks to Hades and asks for permission. And Hades says yes, so long that Hercules could subdue the dog without any weapons. So he strangled the dog, slung him over his shoulders, and walked out. <laughs> he later actually returned Cerberus to Hades um, because the king was just absolutely terrified of the hellhound. <laughs> and then that's how he was finally released from his labors. Oh. And we'll have a link in the show notes to uh, more information, probably the Wikipedia article, where you can read more about all of these others. And you can also cross compare them to uh, Hercules' little merit badges or collectible coins that he got for each of these labors that he completed. <laughs> I want to know who's giving him those. <laughs> well, it's, it's, of course, it's the demigod scouts. <laughs> of course. Bringing Hercules back down to Earth when uh -huh. he's with Snow, uh, he's the one who taught Snow how to work with a bow and arrow. And that bow itself has an interesting history. And in our initial reactions, we were trying to figure this out a little bit. And I've done some more research and also got some great input uh, for Missing Peace from Sci-Fi Girl. And here's my theoretical history of that bow, because it looks exactly the same as the bow that Snow uses in present day. So here's what I think. Hercules isn't really attributed much to using a bow. There have been a couple times in the ancient Greek mythology where it does reference a bow, but not necessarily as an iconic weapon or even necessarily as the, the victory weapon. But my theory is that that bow is somehow divinely powered and never misses its target. So let's follow this path here. In this episode, season three, episode 13, Labor of Love, Hercules gave the bow to Snow. It was the bow. It had regular arrows. He didn't say anything about an arrow shot from this bow never misses its target. But that comes in later, I think. And he didn't have any golden arrows or anything like that. He leaves that bow with Snow. And I would assume Snow takes that bow with her. But later on, chronologically, Snow gets that bow given back to her. So somehow that bow has to leave Snow's possession. And the way I think it is, and this is a theory that Sci-Fi Girl helped me with, is that Walsh, remember Walsh, who became the Wizard of Oz? Walsh steals the bow because he loves to collect magical things. He stole the bow. In episode 17 of season four, Heart of Gold, Rumpel hired Robin Hood to steal the elixir of the wounded heart from the kingdom of Oz. And while Robin then broke into the Wizard of Oz's room, which had now been taken over by the Wicked Witch, Zelina, and remember she turned Walsh into the flying monkey, Robin steals a myriad of items from that room, including the elixir. And then when Zelina confronts him, he looks over and he sees a sign with a bow and arrow below it. The sign says the Omaha Circus and Freak Show, an arrow fired from his bow always finds its target. Thanks to Sci-Fi Girl for pointing out this particular missing piece of the theory. So that's how we think the bow, it, it's the same bow. It looks the same. We really are quite confident it's the same one. So it must have gotten to Oz because of Walsh. That's our piece that we, that's a pure theory there. But then Robin Hood has the bow. So then from Robin Hood, Robin Hood takes this bow with him when he leaves Oz and the rest of the story progresses. Jump back to season two, episode 19, Lacey. That's when Robin Hood 
broke into Rumpelstiltskin's castle to try and steal the wand in order to save Marion. Robin fired an arrow from that bow, and he said, an arrow fired from this bow always finds its target. Then Rumpel does that whole thing with Robin, tortures him, releases him, Robin runs off, saves Marion, all of that stuff, and Rumpelstiltskin keeps that bow and the golden arrows. Then in episode 16 from season one, Heart of Darkness, Snow White and Grumpy go to Rumpelstiltskin, and Grumpy is there to try and figure out how to bring love back into Snow White's life because she's grumpy all the time, and there can be only one grumpy in the show. (laughs) And so Rumpel gives this bow to Snow for her to use to kill evil Queen Regina. And Rumpel said, of this bow, an arrow fired from this bow will get you exactly what you need. It always finds its target. And what ended up happening is that when... Snow fired an arrow from that bow toward Regina. Charming jumped in the way. It shot Charming. Snow recognizes, wow, you would sacrifice yourself like that for true love. And then that somehow ignites true love and then true love's kiss. And then that breaks this magical thing that Snow brought upon herself. And she recognizes David again, and she's in love with him again. And then presumably she keeps that bow because we see her with it then for the rest of Once Upon a Time. That's my theory on the history of the bow. That is awesome. That really is. I hadn't realized where you were going with this until you said Walsh steals the bow, and I just went, oh, I think it makes a lot of sense. And it was Sci-Fi Girl who suggested that. I'd forgotten about the episode Heart of Gold completely, uh, where the bow was in Oz for a while. But uh, when Sci-Fi Girl suggested it, I realized, yeah, that fits perfectly with the rest of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we don't have a real definitive date on when Walsh went to Oz or how what he was doing before then. So I think we could probably say that that works really well with the timeline. Yeah, and we don't know how he stole these magical items. We just know he loved to collect magical yeah. items. So maybe Snow White gave it away. Maybe he went and stole it. Maybe he had someone steal it for him. We don't know, but he got it somehow. And then that bow, though, becomes the trick The old teacher how to (laughs) blank so I can put my arms around her trick. Every guy needs to know that trick, by the way. Does he? (laughs) Did you use it on Jenny? (laughs) I might have, and I might regularly still use it on Jenny. Aww. (laughs) (laughs) Jenny is my wife, by the way, just in case you're new to the podcast and you don't know who we're talking about. I'm talking about my wife. So one last note about this scene. It is the first time we hear what is probably the major theme of the episode, which is you can't let fear of failure stop you from trying. And that gets repeated several times throughout the episode. Yeah. And even um, built on a little bit later with it's failure that teaches you how to have victory. Yes. So don't be afraid to fail. Don't don't worry about failing because you can succeed from failing. But speaking of failure, Snow decides to go after these bandits herself. (laughs) It was cute. Okay. (laughs) It was. It was cute. And, you know, so many props to Bailey Madison, who we haven't seen in such a long time. But she was just so charming this episode, like she always is. She's such a tiny little Ginny Goodwin. Yeah. But yeah, she fails here. I really liked... The whole, I don't need an army, and then she proceeds to just drop all the bows and weapons, like, everywhere. 
<laughs> just like, oh, snow. <laughs> yeah, it, it's back to that hero's journey thing. She thinks she's got it. She thinks she can stand up. And then something just makes her fall almost literally flat on her face. Yep. And Hercules arrived just in the nick of time and shook the entire ground. That's how strong he is. Is that something Hercules was known for? He would have been known for his incredible strength. And I have no doubt that, I mean, I can't think of any legend off the top of my head about him actually shaking the earth. But, you know, like I talked about with the labors, he is strong enough to hold the entire world. (laughs) So, yeah, I have no doubt that had he wanted to shake the ground, he could have. So the thief goes back to Regina and there's a slight maybe continuity problem here in the painting of the walls. They don't look completely black and they don't look completely white, but they should be completely white. And it is daylight outside, or it seems to be daylight, but there are fires on the inside. I don't know what color the walls are in this, (laughs) but they should be white because Regina didn't change the castle to black until after King Leopold's death. And we saw her change the color in the seventh episode of season one, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. So yeah. I don't know whether to say they should have hired the nerd on this one if they <laughs> messed up the continuity, because I can't tell what color the walls are. They seem black from one angle. They seem white from another angle, especially if you consider the light from the fires. But the, I don't know. Well, yeah, it kind of struck me maybe just as a continuity error. And along with that, Regina's gown, while gorgeous is a little too evil queenish, like the color of it. I was kind of like, oh, you should be in something maybe a little lighter just because you're still trying to fool everybody into thinking you're a good person. You know, like she's doing that with Snow in the throne room, trying to give her encouragement when really she's plotting against her. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm betting the walls were a continuity error. However, if there is anyone out there who can tell what time of day it is, it would be Keb. And I'm interested to see what she <laughs> might have to say about what time of day this is. We don't get that detailed necessarily on the timeline over at oncepodcast.com slash timeline. But I know that Keb sometimes does in her own spreadsheet that she keeps track of. Yeah. The only other thing I have about this scene is last week I noted that I really wanted Regina's necklace. I would also like this one. So ABC, when you're done with that stuff, you can ship it to my house. Contact us at feedback at oncepodcast.com and we'll give you the address. (laughs) When Snow White then is, they're trying to break the bow, which I wonder when Hercules saw her doing that and he's like, no, 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 don't. I wonder if he was thinking, this is, this is the legendary bow an arrow fired from this never loses its target. Don't break that bow. He didn't say any of that, but that's, I wonder, I think that's what he was thinking, but I think this is the first time then that we've seen Snow White in this kind of bandit snow costume. And I was a little bit surprised to see her wearing it then as a girl, but it looked very similar to the bandit snow costume we know. Very similar. We actually had a picture of this about a week before the episode aired because they give us, you know, like little pictures throughout the week to entice you. And everybody looked at it and went, well, there's bandit snow. This costume is gorgeous. I love it. Once they send me Regina's necklaces, they can also send me that skirt. (laughs) Snow White, can you keep a secret? (laughs) (laughs) That has to be the best line of the night. Because it's everybody in the fandom at that point just went, no. Like, of course she can't. 
you can kind of see it on her face. After watching it a couple of times, I noticed a little bit more. It almost looks like she has this look of, I've failed at keeping secrets in the past, but I can keep this one. I can totally keep this one. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> so with this new inspiration from Hercules. If I hadn't failed, I never would have figured out how to succeed. Snow then reapproaches the thieves and defeats them. I like the way that it worked out. And I keep thinking, rewatching the scene, this is the bow that an arrow fired from this bow never misses its target. So I think of that regularly, like that first arrow that she shot, maybe she was actually wanting to hit that tree and just to kind of scare the guy by, look, yes, I really fired a shot. It's like the warning shot or the shot across his bow, essentially. And then she hits the sword right on. I wanted to see her shoot some more cool targets, but. Nope. <laughs> Later, she'll, she has to grow up a little bit first. I did not like that kiss. I did not either. And the reaction this week from a bunch of people is it's split a little bit, but mostly everybody's leaning to it being a little too much that, you know, it's fine for her to have a crush and everybody accepts that. Snow at this age, you know, of course, she's going to be interested in guys and she's a normal girl despite being a princess in the Enchanted Forest. You know, it, it's okay to have a crush on a cute guy. but it's, Or a demigod. Or a demigod. <laughs> That's even more acceptable. But they kind of just needed to leave it at, you know, semi-crush but friends. Just leave it at friends. I was – I thought the yeah. kiss was a little gratuitous. Yeah, I felt like this childhood love kiss really – kind of undermined the true loveness of Snow and Charming. And yeah. even earlier in the episode, when you watch the episode, not the way that we're talking through it chronologically, but Charming was like, was he only a friend? And Snow said yes. And I would have liked it to stay that way. And it could have been that way. They could have kept it that way if they didn't have that kiss in there. I agree. It was a, just a little much because for me, Snow White has never even mentioned her friendship with Hercules. This is the first time we're hearing about it. We're seeing it. There's never really been any hint that she learned anything from him in the past. So for them to suddenly kiss and for this to probably be her first kiss ever, I'm like, well, this is a little much because it's never, ever been brought up. And that they made it so beautiful with that sun and the lens flare there in the background. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but your first kiss typically isn't the best romantic thing ever. <laughs> it tends to be awkward and weird. <laughs> but Hollywood rules are that your first right. kiss is always the most amazing, <laughs> incredible thing with sunsets and fireworks and rainbows and all kinds of happiness. And, you know, speaking of sunset, fireworks, rainbows, and all kind of happiness, our heroes give that to us episode after episode for supporting the podcast. And we are very grateful for you being a hero for the podcast. We could not do this podcast without you. And I really do mean that. So big thanks in this episode to our heroes. You hear these names quite often. Lisa Slack and David Newland. Thank you very much for supporting this episode of the podcast. And I want to thank our 27 heroes that we have on Patreon. Aaron, Simon, Marianne, Tracy, Sarah, Ariana, Renita, Lisa, Jessica, Jamie, Keith, Rivka, Megan, James, DG, Timothy, Holly, Jeff, Jennifer, Lisa, 
Ashley, Melanie, Lisa, Laura, Lisa. We've got a lot of Lisas. <laughs> Sarah and Sharon, thank you very much for being our heroes for the podcast. We really appreciate the support episode after episode. And we're going to get back to sharing our blooper reels and blooper clips to our patrons, to our heroes for each episode of the podcast. So if you'd like to hear those and you don't get to hear them when we record the podcast live, because sometimes we mess up, or let me put it this way, sometimes I mess up catastrophically. You enjoy the segues into thanking our sponsors and our heroes sometimes. You should hear the segues that don't work out very well, but we'll be sharing more of that and getting back into sharing those posts with our heroes over on Patreon. So if you would like to support the podcast and be like one of these awesome heroes and bring us rainbows and sunsets and unicorns and happiness for the podcast, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. Thank you for your support. We really could not do this without you. That's oncepodcast.com slash hero. Moving on to the present day in the underworld, we see Hook there in the prison. No, no, no. Let me back up. Let me back up. Because remember a couple episodes of the podcast ago, I kept asking the question, what's with all of the smoking construction cones? Your questions are pointless. But you know what? They weren't so pointless after all. Those cones were, as I theorized back then, and I had no idea that this would prove to be correct. I just wanted to know what's up with the cones. But they are actual ventilation ports for the under underworld, the prisons, the jail cells, those little areas where people are held mentally as prisoners, uh, where they have or they think they have the ability to escape, but they really can't. So it makes me wonder if everywhere we see one of those cones... Is there a prison down there? And we did hear of other prisoners being held by Hades because when we see this opening scene with Hook and Meg in this prison area, there are screams coming from down the hall. So screams would have to come from someone else. So is this what Hades does is he keeps people down here for some particular reason? And then he keeps them to torture them, beat them up like he's already done with Hook? Because Hook did say Hades has already done his worst. That's a good question. I'm going to answer it with a question and then maybe have a theory. So in the town of Storybrooke, are they in the mines? Because they go there later. I think the mines lead to the prison. This this big prison. Okay. So I think this might be the show's representation of Tartarus. And Tartarus is one section of the Greek underworld that if there's a precursor to what we know as hell, it would be Tartarus. It's not the nicest place in the world, but the people that are there are prisoners. They're trapped there and they're undergoing really harsh punishments. The Titans are there, for example, and they get punishments that kind of fit their crimes. One of my favorites is Tantalus. He literally stands on a like a pool of water that is constantly moving away from him, condemned to be thirsty for all of time. So I'm kind of wondering if this structure is their version of that really dark, deepest part of the underworld. That'd be really interesting. Yeah, because that thing, the building, whatever it is, it's not Storybrooke-ish. Right. I mean, it's got gargoyles and fire pits. So it has to be something that is unique to the underworld and not something we would find in Storybrooke. It doesn't have an analog. Yeah. Yeah. And like Storybrooke 
or fake underworld storybook, or maybe real storybook, depending on which came first, is built on top of this other layer of hell, essentially. Yes. Is it the worst place? I get the impression that the absolute worst place is that fire pit in... Mount Doom. Yeah, Mount Doom. Yeah, that was kind of my impression as well, because... I mean, I'm sure the prison is very scary and there's a three-headed dog that's going to eat you. But the fire does seem particularly scary as well. I do wonder here, why is Meg in this prison? I have a lot of questions about Meg. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I want to know why she's there. What we know is it seems like the Cerberus is chasing her. But that makes sense in the underworld. And I think the reason it makes sense is because she escaped from the prison. So Cerberus, as a guard to the prison, is trying to bring her back. So it makes perfect sense for it to be chasing specifically her. But why was it chasing her back in the Enchanted Forest when she met Hercules and then Hercules died because of Cerberus? It makes me think Hades wanted her in the underworld for some specific reason. And maybe he sent Cerberus after her since Cerberus has been known to be basically Hades pet or belong to Hades. So a lot of people have wondered if Meg was working for Hades because in the Disney film, the character of Meg is working for Hades because I mean, no offense to the actress. She, she did what she could, but there didn't seem to be a reason for Meg to be in this episode Except for the fact that she's in the Disney movie and, you know, Once Upon a Time likes to get their fill of the Disney characters. Yeah. So people have been wondering if she's not a spy for Hades, which would fit with the Disney film. And then she is kind of this lore for Hercules. You know, he is going to go kill Severus and then he kind of gets distracted by having to save this girl and then he ends up dying. And that gets Hades' nephew, at least, into the underworld, which would... Mm -hmm be a plus on his size, especially if he's got a thing um, out for Zeus. Yeah, which, you know, that's a classic Disney thing. The evil uncle, the evil stepmother, some evil, slightly distant family relationship of some sort. Yeah, because, yeah, I, other than that, I don't know why she would be in this place that seems to be reserved for the worst of the worst. It does make me wonder if we'll see her and... Hercules again, and I know you may not be able to comment since you know spoilers, but uh, Olympus is not a heaven. So when they pass on to Olympus, they're going to another realm. And does Meg even belong there? Or might there be something that happens that everyone moves on to Olympus and then has to battle evil there or something like that? I'm not so sure we're done with Meg because she is very iconic to the Hercules character. But if we're finished with Hercules, then we're definitely finished with Meg. But also Hercules, it really felt like this episode was the conclusion of his appearance in Once Upon a Time, unless they bring him back for some later, much later episode. I don't necessarily see him being an integral part of the rest of the season, sort of, because they probably have a lot of other Greek mythology characters they want to bring in with the rest of the season. Yeah, I tend to agree that his story is over. It's just kind of bizarre that Meg got to go along. At the end of the Disney film, Hercules is welcomed back to Olympus by the gods. One of them, he's allowed to join his father up there. But Meg can't get in. She's mortal. She's it, It's a rule. You don't go to Olympus if you're immortal. And she tries to go back to Earth, but Hercules says, I want to stay with her. 
And that's how he returns to Earth and they, you know, live happily ever after. So the fact that Meg is being welcomed into Olympus right now kind of makes me give the show some side eye. Hmm. Like, I don't know what you just did there. Which is why I'm wondering if Olympus actually is their version of heaven. And we can, you know, talk about that at the end of the episode. But I don't know. I'm kind of confused on this. Hmm. Bringing it back to Hook here in the prison, he said that he got a message from Emma. What message? It seems that when Emma talked to him with that magical ale, that he didn't get the message, but could he at least tell that it was Emma? Maybe that's what he means by he got a message from Emma. Just knowing that it was Emma is enough to let him know that Emma is trying to save him. That was my impression after I sat and thought about it. Because, yeah, other than that, it was so glitchy. The only thing he would see is her and maybe the other people who were standing behind her, the rest of the Scooby gang. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's the only thing I can think of. Meanwhile, Mary Margaret is in the graveyard, and in initial reactions, I questioned whether she was talking about every single gravestone in that graveyard represented someone from her kingdom. But now rewatching the episode, I don't think that's what she was referring to. She said, these graves, they're all from my kingdom. So she didn't say all of these, as in referring to every single grave in the graveyard. But I think it was just a particular section or the ones that she had walked over or near and that's what it was so there could be plenty of other people here in this underworld from other realms other kingdoms well that leads me to a question which is do people only from the enchanted forest go to the underworld because we've seen so many cultures represented in once upon a time over the years we've got merida and the scottish highlands mulan and fictional china We've even seen Agrabah, which is sort of a Middle Eastern type of deal. So do you go to the underworld, which is presented as kind of being this at least culturally Greek place, even if Greek culture doesn't mean anything to you? Like it's this and the Olympus thing is something I'm really struggling with this week. Yeah. When you start to look at how they're getting into spiritual concepts, not only mythological and fairy tale concepts, but spiritual concepts of what happens after death, which is core to pretty much every religion and even the lack of religion is what happens after death. Major issue there. They're approaching that. They're dancing all over that right now. So, (sighs) Because a lot of those places that I just mentioned are part of fairy tale land, which is what the enchanted forest is in. Right. You know, the Scottish Highlands are just a boat ride over from Camelot, apparently. Fictional China is close enough that Belle and Mulan went there. Um, Agrabah, we don't know exactly where, but Jane Espenson has said that it is in fairytale land. So, I don't know. It's It confuses me. Yeah, but then there are other realms like Wonderland, uh, the land without color, mm-hmm. uh, and fictional London somewhere else maybe and if you think about the land without color that we saw back in season two they were celebrating christmas and they i believe gave victor frankenstein did they give him something that was shaped like a cross am i hallucinating this i don't remember that actually oh maybe it wasn't victor was his brother i do remember a paper that referred to an actual location in i believe germany 
Mm. Well, I do remember that they were like celebrating Christmas. Yeah. So what happens when someone from the land without color dies? Do they go to the underworld, which again is being presented as sort of this Greek culture center? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you wake up, you're dead, you wake up in the underworld and you're like, huh, so everything I ever believed was wrong, but those people from long, long ago got it right? <laughs> I don't know. But like for Christianity, for example, because I am a Christian, so I can speak from that. Everyone goes to one or the other location, regardless of when or where they were. Okay, but then so, that brings me to the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah, but Olympus might be another realm, not a heaven. I think it's another realm. And because Hercules is a demigod and he had to complete these labors before he could go to Olympus, I think that really uh, Mount Doom there was simply his portal to where he was supposed to go. And that was back to his home realm, not onto, quote, heaven, unquote. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> it's just it was presented the exact same way that Henry Sr. moved on. Complete with, right. you know, the bridge and the door opening and the it's beautiful. This only difference was that this time the audience was let in on the secret. The clouds cleared and we saw Olympus. Yeah. I don't know. So is everyone who died there going to in Olympus. that grave. Yeah, yeah. And then going on to Olympus if they have no unfinished business and they can go on to a better place. Mm -hmm. We're probably, th this is classic for us. We're probably way <laughs> overthinking this. It probably is. If the writers, I know that some of the uh, ABC staff do listen to the podcast. Um, they probably hear this and are probably shouting at us, guys, it's a TV show. Stop <laughs> thinking so hard. <laughs> Enjoy but, the shiny and fluffy clouds. Hey, ABC staff, as long as I've got your attention. Hire the nerd. Hire Jacqueline. <laughs> she can be your continuity expert. She'll be brilliant at that. Thank you. Hashtag hire the nerd. Going back to the episode a bit, they end up going into the woods. Which is kind of where we just were. We were going <laughs> off into the weeds, into the woods. We were somewhere out there. Yeah, we're Into back. the woods, into the woods. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> random fairy tale moment. So they, they went into the woods, which are the exact same as Storybrooke. And this is where... First off, I love that Regina calls it Bizarro Storybrook. <laughs> yeah. And it's that question of, is there anything that doesn't have an analog? And it takes us back to that sort of temple prison structure that that has to be kind of original underworld or something that just isn't actual Storybrook for whatever reasons that Haiti is making this place look like Storybrook. And I'm wondering if there's anything else that doesn't have an analog, like are we going to see anything that obviously belongs to the underworld that doesn't belong in Storybrooke? Because they wouldn't show us something like that if it wasn't important, I feel. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the locations of things like, yes, that prison area and Hades' own private chamber there probably uh, does have a connection or uh, an equivalent in our storybook, especially if you think about back to season one, August told Emma that magical waters run underneath the storybook. And there's that well. Like mm -hmm. if you actually went down to the bottom of the well in storybook, 
would you find a chamber that looks very similar to Hades' chamber with the five different rivers and maybe connecting different magical worlds through those rivers in some way? Yeah, that would be interesting to see. I've always pictured it as like another version of Jefferson's hat. Like you went down to the bottom of the well and you would be able to pick wherever you want to go. Basically, the underground of Storybrooke is becoming the basement of the White House. We can theorize there are all (laughs) kinds of things under there. (laughs) Like aliens and secret memorandums about them? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, maybe that's what season six is, aliens. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hope not. (laughs) ABC, that was a joke. Don't do that. (laughs) You're taking notes right now. Ooh, that's a good idea. (laughs) Speaking of really bizarre, we went to... The Charmings, because Meg was terrified and we had to get her out of that situation. This is weird. This is weird, right? That this house is just waiting for them to die. Yeah. It's all covered so it doesn't collect dust while it's waiting for them. So does every house in Bizarro Storybrook have a picture of its future residents that you oh. can find in <laughs> real Storybrook? Yeah, true. That makes it extra weird. That's extra weird. But then if they don't die with unfinished business, they don't go there. And what happens to all your stuff? Because Granny's is populated with Granny's stuff, including like cups of coffee, apparently. So when Snow and Charming die and let's say they have unfinished business and they go to their loft, does like all their furniture transfer? (laughs) (laughs) These are really interesting questions that I know that they're pointless and I'm not going to get the answer to them, but I would really like to know. Your questions are pointless. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Rumble. I don't know. Uh, But the whole analog comparison thing does also make me wonder, is there a map of the underworld that shows the underworld's uh, prison cells and jail cells and all of that inside of Regina's office? Or is it only like the top level? Yeah, that's a really good question. Regina, who knows the ins and outs of Storybrooke probably better than anyone, should be able to think of a place where she keeps things hidden. And maybe that's where Hades is keeping things hidden. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be her vault, the vault of hearts back in the cemetery. Oh, yeah. And I mean, this is kind of like Hades' version of a, of a vault. He's keeping things locked up and tucked away. Yeah. Yeah, if Snow and Charming knew to go to their loft, why doesn't Regina think to go to her vault? And Rumpel went to his shop, and there were some objects there. So maybe Regina will need to go back to her vault, and there might be some things she can use there, too. I wonder if people's hearts are there. Oh, that would be really interesting. Yeah. It wouldn't make sense, though. I loved getting to see the blind witch in the underworld, (laughs) and for more than one episode... Yeah, she's delightful. <laughs> Child muncher. Child muncher. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a, that's a great nickname for her. She's basically, I wonder if she runs that shop. We, I don't think we've seen the outside. No, we haven't seen the outside of Granny's in the Underworld <laughs> version. So I wonder if instead of Granny's, it says something like witchies or I don't know, blind witchies. <laughs> because she seems to be the lead person there at the diner mm-hmm. she's always behind the counter yeah and she knows the customers she serves the customers frequently yes because she knows exactly when hercules will come in because she's trying to fatten him up <laughs> because he'd make a great sunday roast 
She has some of the best lines. That line. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorite lines of the night. What happens when Granny dies? I mean, do they, like, duke it out for control of Granny's? Probably. She'll say, move over, witch. This is my business. She would. Granny would totally pull out her crossbow. <laughs> yeah. The reunion with Hercules was kind of bittersweet. I loved how surprised he was at the fact that she has a daughter and a son and a grandson. <laughs> he almost looked disappointed. Like, right. I remember that great kiss. It had the sunset behind us and all of that beautiful stuff. Oh, you're taken. Bummer. I want there to be a blooper reel for season five where Jenny Goodwin tells the actor playing Hercules, it's kind of a convoluted story. And then she looks right at the camera and says, but you can get caught up in just four seasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, here, I'll, do that. I'll loan you my DVDs. <laughs> Come back and talk to me when you're done. <laughs> when Hook was captured and brought back to Hades, one of the questions I think this raises is, can Hades be killed? What would be worse for him than where he is now? Like, would it be the opposite of this? Like, is this his heaven getting to rule the underworld? So would his hell basically be to be in our world and live a life with us and be powerless? Is that what's worse for him? Or is it Mount Doom? My feeling would be that it would be non-existence. Like, just not being able to exist anymore. Um, so, yeah, I guess that would translate to Mount Doom and getting the fire hug. Mm -hmm. But going back to what we talked about at the beginning of this episode, which is the hero's journey, one of the biggest things that is central to the hero's journey is that they conquer death. And it can be literal death, but it can also be any kind of figure that embodies death and chaos and destruction. And that's what Hades is here. And this is why, even though I know last episode people were talking about how maybe it's Regina who could be the savior this time around, I really need it to be Emma. Mm -hmm. It's just it – would, it would be perfect because her entire story since we have seen her has really been the monomyth, you know, right up to Henry knocking on her front door to call her on an adventure. And – she should be the one to stop death, whatever that means. If it's the destruction of the underworld, if it's killing Hades, if it's even turning the underworld into a better place um, where there isn't a tyrannical despot ruling it, that would be fine. But it, I really want it to be Emma who does this. It would make sense. Right. You can't call her the savior for five seasons now and not have her do – the big savior thing. That's what this is. The big savior thing. Right. And Neil did say this won't end the way you think it will. That's true. But that can mean really anything. Gosh, Neil, be more specific in your very random appearance. All we know is that probably Emma is expecting to be able to go rescue Hook and then leave the underworld. And right. Neil is basically saying it's not going to happen that way. Yeah, there's got to be something else that is going to like stand in the way of that. When Henry breaks into Cora's office, Regina's office, Cruella's office, I don't know whose office it is anymore, but uh, I think it is transferring ownership and maybe even leadership of the town has transferred. Because if you look at the previous episode of Once Upon a Time, when Cruella was the leader of the upper underworld, 
she had on the mantle a bunch of red roses. Now, Cruella is in the office, which is magically protected. So maybe Cruella put that enchantment there in some way, or it's protected for her to be in there. But now Cruella has had her own touch on the decor. And in place of the red roses, where previously Regina has had a horse, now Cruella has a Dalmatian statue there. I did not even notice that Dalmatian statue. That's awesome. So she's probably the, quote, mayor, quote, (laughs) of the underworld. Is she Hades' new lackey? I think so. So, because this is one of my big questions is, how does Cruella know all this about the pen? And why should we trust her? So if she's Hades' new lackey, can we really trust her with this information about the pen? Uh, I think she knows that information, but she is telling the truth about it. And she's being completely selfish in her motivation for getting Henry to use the pen and and all of that. And maybe she's going against what Hades wants her to do. I don't know why Hades chose her if he did, or if he's even giving her orders. But Cruella has not really seemed to be the type who likes to follow orders. Even when she was working with Rumpel, she frequently seemed to want to go against Rumpel's leadership. Agreed. Her sociopathic tendencies, she marches to the beat of her own drum. You know, and we saw that even in her flashback where she didn't want to obey the rules. You know, she wants to break out and go dancing and drinking and have fun. Yeah, which you're not allowed to do when you're a sociopathic murderer. You know, that's true. It just doesn't end well for anybody. So... We should probably talk about the pen. Yeah. Which is now a character on the show, apparently. Maybe it's we alive. Name it Bob. We should Bob name the it. Pen. It's Bob. Okay. That, that's accepted from here on out. It's Bob. How does Bob epitomize unfinished business? Well, let's think about this. If the pen is a living being, we'll, we'll have to assume that for this conversation. So okay. the pen is a living being. Its purpose was to be used to record the stories, and the stories were not finished being recorded. So, therefore, the pen has unfinished business because it was intended to finish recording the stories, and the stories haven't finished yet. Then can the pen – this is so weird to say – can Bob never move on? Because if you're going that route and the idea that – You know, the pen has been in existence for a very, very long time, going back, you know, to what August said back in season four to people, you know, writing with shadows or whatever. Then does that mean that the pen never gets to move on? Because there's always going to be a story. True. And if if it can't ever move on then does it really have unfinished business? Because it it will never be able to finish its business. (laughs) I'm overthinking this. I'm sorry. Yeah, but... This is this is something we need to know, and we'll see in some way. Uh, maybe here in the underworld, Henry will completely destroy the pen. Maybe this pen will, and Henry's authorship role, will come into play for getting everyone out of the underworld. Maybe he'll be able to write them out of the underworld. That certainly seems to be what Cruella thinks he can do. Yeah, which means... If he can write Cruella out of the underworld, it means he can bring her back to life. 
unless yeah. we're going with some kind of zombie thing. And let's not even go there. Well, the whole bringing someone back from to life and back from the dead is already being challenged with the fact that they're in the underworld to save Hook. Yes. Unless they're saying that everyone who's here in the underworld is not totally dead. They're only mostly dead. <laughs> they need Miracle Max. Um, <laughs> so the reason I'm bringing this up is because the last time the pen was seen or talked about, Henry had an idea of someone he wanted to bring back. And he was told, it's not a good idea. You can't do it. Now he's being told that he can do it. But he can't bring back Neil. Because Neil is in a happier place where maybe there's some kind of barrier that means he, he's completely dead, so he can't be brought back. But to quote last season, there's always a loophole. Oh, yes, there is. It's, it's just so strange to me that last episode we had Neil, whom we haven't seen since season three, pop up out of nowhere and have this you know beautiful moment with Emma. And then in the very next episode... We have Neil's son being told that he can now bring people back to life, essentially. He can take them out of the realm of death and bring them back to life. And I'm not trying to go down the path that Neil and Michael Raymond James are going to come back. Um, that's kind of over for me. But it's definitely something that a lot of people are thinking about this week because it just seems to be a complete 180 from what they had told us a season ago. Right. I think it's something to tuck away in the back of your head. I think if if Bob is there in Underworld for real, I think probably Hades has Bob. Yeah. If if the pen is the epitomization of unfinished business and Hades wants all the souls with unfinished business to stay with him forever, then the last thing you're going to give up is you know, your A-plus unfinished business candidate. Right. Doesn't seem like something that Peter Pan would have inside Rumpel's shop. Yeah, I agree. It's too out in the open. Anybody could take that pen. Yeah. And I don't th – right, Pan probably doesn't know about it because if Pan knows everything that's been going on, he knows that Henry's the author and he would have sought out Henry maybe. Mm -hmm. They have a pretty sordid history. Right. Ozgirl brings up a good point here. She said, uh, does, she basically said, does the pen need to change places with an actual living, breathing person in order to go back to Storybrooke? Yeah. How do you, can you use the pen to write the pen out of the underworld? Your questions are pointless. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you stick him in your pocket as you go? I don't know. <laughs> and here's another thing though to think about is Cruella line because she did say this whole thing about if you bring me back then I didn't really die or basically your mother was not a murderer if I wasn't actually murdered that sounds like it's dripping with deception not necessarily a direct lie but deception certainly that I really think Cruella does want revenge on Emma mm-hmm and so if she's deceiving Henry in that way, maybe she's also deceiving him about the pen. Maybe it's all a trap. 
that's definitely part of sociopathic tendencies. You know how to manipulate people and situations for your benefit. Look at what she did to Isaac. You know, they were together one night and Isaac fancied himself in love and even wrote powers for her because she played on basically his weaknesses. And Henry wanting to protect Emma is definitely a weakness. Mm -hmm. She just wants the gin, really. (laughs) The music, the gin, the glamour, the gin. (laughs) Oh, Victoria Smurfett, I have missed you. I'm so glad you're back. I didn't want Cruella within 10 feet of this show when they announced her back in season 4B because I didn't think it made sense. And she was easily the best part of season 4B. Hmm. So I'm so happy to have her back. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, everyone's underground looking for Cerberus. And uh, when they confront Hades, he, he sounded kind of like a little kid when he was basically saying... And here's my paraphrase. I have my reasons, but I'm not going to tell you. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> About why is Storybrooke and the Underworld so similar? Yes. The fact that he actually says, I have, well, you know, my reasons are my own. I'm not going to tell you them. A, that's classic television telling you that someday you're going to learn what those reasons are. Yeah. But that it's something that he is keeping a secret from the heroes for a specific reason. Hades doesn't seem like he's the guy to play things close to the vest. You know, he he's very open with Hook about, I'm not happy with you. I'm going to make you do things you aren't going to like. And even opening up and saying, I have a vindictive side. That right. is very personal information there. <laughs> right. So the fact that he's keeping it from everybody means that it's probably something that will, would be the key to his undoing, maybe. Right. And also something that maybe they'll give us a full episode to explain. They just can't fit all of that explanation into a quick little answer when that's the first thing Regina asks him. Yes. Right. This is an epi- a thing that you need a centric for. Mm-hmm. So one more little Greek lesson here. Uh, when Hades was talking to Hercules, Hercules did say, this is my uncle. And that's keeping with some Greek mythology. I want to talk a little bit about Zeus and Hades. It's not the power dynamic struggle that Disney imagines it to be. Um, Zeus is the head of the Greek pantheon. He rules up in Mount Olympus. He got that position by defeating his father Cronus, who had the very nasty habit of swallowing his children. Yeah. Um, he he overthrew Cronus and he, he took Mount Olympus, you know, huzzah. And he actually divided up the, the world with his two brothers, Poseidon and Hades. And they did this by drawing lots. It wasn't like Zeus said, hey, I did this awesome thing. I'm going to go be awesome on my shiny clouds. You go to Hades. Ha ha ha. So H- Hades took the land of the dead. Poseidon took all the waters and Zeus took the sky and the air. And it was considered a fair deal. You know, they drew lots. That's how you settled things. But I'm wondering if Once Upon a Time is going to turn that kind of with the Greek mythology presented in the Disney movie as being the main conflict between Hades and his brother. Because you know how much this show loves its family drama. So do you think, well, we've met Poseidon. So he probably wouldn't come into this, or do you think he would? Like, 
and Poseidon, the merman, the king of the water, reach the underworld and maybe there be a battle between them? Maybe. I mean, Hades is surrounded by those five rivers. I don't know. I can't see them bringing Poseidon into this. He's Whenever anyone imagines conflict between Zeus and Hades in like modern day representations of this, they tend to leave Poseidon out. So I imagine that it would just come down to Zeus and Hades if they end up going that route. I love the conversation that happens between Regina and Mary Margaret. Me too. Just a beautiful summary of their relationship and conclusion and kind of back to that hero's journey for Snow White, the call to be who she should be. We need Snow White. Yeah. You know, this is something that has bothered the fandom for a really long time, that they keep calling her Mary Margaret on the show in present day. Mm -hmm. Everyone I know is very, very happy that they finally got back to this idea that she is Snow White, that she is this iconic, strong kind of warrior in in her own bandit way and that she can't just sit around (laughs) giving out speeches about hope that you know she has to be able to do some other stuff and for me i really loved what regina had to say that you know you defeated me in a in another way you made me your friend i love that line it they have come so so far you know and then you get attacked by a giant dog it's cool (laughs) yeah why not? How did the dog get through the roof? Uh, I'm not so sure. Oh, I, yeah, I guess it did get through the roof. For a moment, I was thinking it through the bed, but no, I realized, no, the bed was up there. Did it, like, jump on the roof? Probably. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm overthinking all of this. <laughs> but it's after Meg, not after the Charmings, as much as it seems like everything bad happens to them. <laughs> Right, because Meg is an escaped prisoner, and he is the guard puppy of the underworld, and his job is to prevent the dead from leaving. Mm -hmm. So it's just natural that he would go after her, I guess. I thought just before this, it was kind of funny to see Hercules being like all Clark Kent doing his Superman thing, moving these massive blocks of concrete as if they were nothing. Yeah, it's a hilarious sight gag where the conversation is so serious and you just see Hercules carrying around anchors. <laughs> yeah, it's a very funny moment. They did that a lot in the TV series Smallville, where you would see the character who played Clark Kent, young Superman. Sorry if that's a spoiler to you, but they would have him often having conversations, picking up these massive things and putting them down as if they're, they're styrofoam. And then the sound effects, of course, make it sound all heavy, but he's they're not even breaking a sweat. And even when I first saw Hercules in this episode, I thought he looks a lot like Clark Kent. So the similarities are funny in this, but Disney does not have the rights for Superman. No, <laughs> no. And they never, ever will. That's DC. <laughs> yep. So we've kind of, I think, solved why Cerberus is after Meg. She is yeah. a prisoner. Um, but I, I kind of need to give a little bit of a criticism here. They wrote Meg really poorly. Mm. And I know that you and Aaron, I think, talked about this in the initial reactions. Mm-hmm. Meg's most famous line from the Hercules Disney movie is, I'm a damsel, I'm in distress, 
I can handle this. Hmm. You know, she doesn't need Hercules to actually do anything. She kind of hates it when he tries to step in and rescue her. And they really turned Meg into this damsel in distress figure. I do wonder if it's partially because of how she died. Because you look at Hercules, and he was very confident in the Enchanted Forest. But here in the Underworld, he's afraid. He runs away from Cerberus. And maybe a similar thing is going on with Meg, that in life she was courageous until she faced this terrible fear that killed her. And so in the Underworld... She is paralyzed by that same fear. Yeah. Why was she so close to wherever the entrance to the underworld from the Enchanted Forest is? You know, because you can, in that flashback, you can hear the dog coming after her. So what was she doing there? Unless it was simply Hades sent Fluffy after her. Fluffy. (laughs) And so it doesn't matter where she was or where the underworld was in relation to her location. But it's just she was being chased, and it just so happened that here in the forest of uh, coincidence that uh, Hercules is right there to try to save her, but we know how that went. Okay, let's see. Harry Potter reference, Gallivant (laughs) reference. (laughs) Speaking of, I was a little disappointed that Emma Swan, who has made so many Harry Potter jokes over the years, didn't make one about simply playing the dog a lullaby. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah. Get on that ABC. They need to do that. Why wasn't there even just a harp inside the library? Yes. (laughs) That would have been great. Even if they didn't use it, just to place a harp in there would have been a nice little nod. Mm -hmm. I did think killing Cerberus was a little too easy, though. Yeah. You know, um, Meg just kind of stabs it through the brain. (laughs) And then the other two, wait. Okay, Snow shoots it with the arrow. What does Hercules do? Hercules had a pipe. He clubs it. Oh, he clubs it. Yay, Greek mythology. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't quite a pipe that you see Hercules carrying in most Greek mythology pictures. No, No, it's (laughs) absolutely not a metal pipe. Um, But it, it was a little too easy for as fearsome as he was supposed to be in this episode. Mm. But I, I will say the CGI was better than some things we've seen on once before. That's true. I think one of the reasons for that is often be, depending on how much they need for a particular episode. The more CGI you need, the more expensive it gets. And when things are dark, you can get away with a lot of missing details mm-hmm. in stuff. And uh, I think the way they did it worked for it. Yeah, definitely. Back at Granny's, where all debriefings happen, we get the the nice little flashbacks of the explanation and such. But I think the big thing to come from this is Snow White. I want to be Snow White again. Well, it's about time. Yeah, it's about time. Regina is the fandom. (laughs) Yep. I really like that Snow is finally accepting this change. I think it's been a long time coming. I will say that a lot of people this week have pointed out that they felt Snow had actually transitioned back to Snow quite a bit ago, which is why it was so frustrating that the show kept calling her Mary Margaret in present day. Mm. Um, For me, she actually transitioned back at the end of 311 going home when she kissed Emma goodbye before the curse hit. Because it was just, to me, I mean, that's the entire journey. She starts off this show giving up her newborn 
and becoming Mary Margaret, Mary Margaret ends when she has to give up her child again. So for me, that's when Snow kind of came back and why I've been so adamant that they need to call her that. But I'm just glad they're going to do it now, so I'll let it go. When they take Hercules to Mount Doom, I think the fire hug probably already happened because the door to a better place was already opened and glowing and all of that. So that's why we didn't see that whole fire hug thing again. Now, the design of Olympus itself does not look at all like the design of Olympus in Disney's movie Hercules. It has a basilica, which if you don't know what that is, think the Vatican. Okay. Big, big dome type thingy. Okay. I saw it in the distance and I just went, huh, interesting. I'm not an architectural historian, so I don't know that much about when they came into existence. So I had to look it up really quick. But it does seem like they used it quite a bit in ancient times for very, very important buildings, Hmm. which is probably why things like cathedrals and the papal residency did take it up. It doesn't look at all how I picture Olympus when I think about it, but it, it works, I guess. So why Olympus? I don't know. If they are going the route that heaven is kind of a Greek analog, it shouldn't be Olympus. It should be Elysium, which is where, you know, like the very, very good go. You go there if you're a hero, but not a god. You go there if you've led an exceptional life. Hercules going to Olympus makes sense. It's how Hercules' mythology ends. He dies Okay, so Hercules dies. He builds his own funeral pyre or something. There's only one member of his party who will actually light the fire. His mortal body burns away and his immortal self goes up to Olympus in a grand apotheosis and he gets to join the gods. That's fine. If they are taking this that this is, quote unquote, heaven, it shouldn't be Olympus. But I'm wondering if it's only because Olympus is more well known to people. Like you say Olympus, everyone kind of knows what that means. You say Elysium and you're going to get a couple weird looks. Yeah. I think it's really his destination because at the beginning of the episode, it was set out that he has to complete these 12 labors in order to go to Olympus. So I think this is his getting to go to where he was supposed to be going from the beginning. And Olympus, as Jared points out, Olympus is home of the gods, and Mm -hmm. he's a demigod, so that's where he goes. Now, that Meg gets to go with him, that's a a separate issue. But maybe as a demigod who has completed his labors, he gets to choose someone to go with him. (laughs) There's always a loophole. Are we going to see where everyone else goes then? Because they hid it from us with Henry Sr., Mm -hmm. and then they revealed you know, kind of what's behind the curtain this week. And if it's not for everybody, if it's just for Hercules and Meg, are we going to see, that sounds weird. Like, are we going to see heaven? But will we see where they're going? Should we see where they're going? Does that get too close to a line that the show shouldn't cross? I think it kind of does. For them to say that Hercules goes to Olympus, I think they're not crossing that line. For everyone else, it it is a tough line. Mm -hmm. And I know they're trying to keep it neutral, which is, it's really impossible to stay totally neutral on anything. But I know they're trying. Yeah, because, you know, now (laughs) 
the the kind of joke question I asked at the forums this week is, does that mean Neil is a god? <laughs> like, <laughs> if he went to Olympus or did he go to, like, his own personal heaven? Does he go to the heaven for the Enchanted Forest people or for the real world people? Hmm. I don't know. They Like, I want them to answer that question about where everyone's going. But at the same time, I'm like, if you cross this line, there's no coming back. Huh. Yeah. Now, before we get to the last scene of this, I want to thank some people who have left some wonderful reviews for One's podcast in iTunes. We really appreciate the reviews. They encourage us and they help other people find the podcast as well. And here's one from, I don't know how to pronounce this at all. It's, uh, I think that's an L07 large 499 <laughs> said, this is my absolute favorite Once Upon a Time podcast. Each week, Daniel, Jeremy, and Aaron provide an in-depth recap as well as insightful theories and research. There are many times where I find myself thinking about a certain plot in a different way or expanding on a different theory that was presented. If you want spoilers for future episodes, no problem. Hunter and Jacqueline will hook you up. Seriously, if it's a spoiler and it's out there, they will find it and tell you about it. I can't say enough. I love this podcast. Thank you very much, however we pronounce your name, for that kind review in iTunes. And yes, Hunter and Jacqueline do a great job with the spoilers. You'll hear uh, 10 minutes of spoilers after we finish with our discussion here of this episode. And iTeresa2015 said, awesome, grade A++++++++++++ great podcast the hosts are wonderful and very polite we give this podcast a grade a thank you very much for that kind review and also math camel said i don't know if i should thank or curse them <laughs> love this <laughs> podcast though i would have given up on once upon a time without this podcast thank you very much for those kind reviews these are all from the united states of america and we do use a tool that I actually created for podcasters that gives us all of our global reviews. So if you're in a different country and you have a completely different iTunes store and you've always thought, oh, if I write a review for them, they won't get to read it because my review won't go in the United States store. Don't worry about that. We use a special tool called mypodcastreviews.com, if you're interested in it, that gives us all of those international reviews. So if you've been waiting out thinking we wouldn't get to see your review, Wait no longer because, yes, we will get to see your review and we'd love to see your review, especially we enjoy seeing those reviews from countries other than the United States of America. So feel free, please, to write a review for us in iTunes or Stitcher, and you can get those links by going to the website at oncepodcast.com. Also, while you're there, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, then please subscribe. That's the best way to get every episode automatically through uh, your computer or really the best thing is on your mobile device if you have an android device or an iphone or some other kind of mobile device listen to the podcast there that way you can take our voices with you listen during your commute while you're at work while you're doing chores wherever we've got those subscription options for you and options for you to review the podcast if you'd like over at oncepodcast.com so let's talk about this final scene in this episode labor of love what in the world. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good night, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Hades obviously hates the fact that people are leaving. It's yeah. not good for him. Or he just really hates the ticking of a clock. <laughs> Maybe he's like Captain Hook in that regard. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. It makes me wonder if 
something happens to his domain if people keep leaving? Like, is it more than just, you know, these are my people to control and I must be able to control them? Or does something actually happen? But, you know, we've seen the, the clock tick, but does something happen to the world? Oh, interesting. So it, you're saying that he's, he's in concern about more than simply losing his power. But maybe he could die by losing the underworld or, or worse or whatever that worse is. Yeah. I've been trying to think back to season one. So we saw the clock tick when Emma decided to stay. But then her being there was causing things to happen. Hmm. Like, and one of my favorite examples is where Mary Margaret gets all kickboxy in the hat trick and, you know, kickbox Jefferson out of a room or something. And, and it's very Snow White of her. Or, you know, Emma touches something and an earthquake happens. Yeah. So I'm wondering if each time these souls leave and the longer the savior is there, does something happen to the world? Maybe. Or maybe it's simply he knows he's losing one person. I don't know. It could be really cool to see Storybrooke falling apart in the uh, kind of science fiction way where the world is falling apart and you see all this lava everywhere as the world is breaking apart and there are cracks going all the way down to the core mm-hmm. of the earth or you know, all of that cool stuff that happens in end of the world kind of movies. Because my thought is that if he has made the underworld look like Storybrooke for a reason, which seems to be the case, yeah. then it has to have looked like something else before. And Unless he made Storybrooke look like the underworld. Yes. I Yes, because we talked about this last week, how he probably created the Dark Curse and how when you cast the Dark Curse, it just makes Storybrooke. Yeah. Oh, but you're saying like maybe he made it look nicer to cover up, well, literally the hell that it looks like. Yes. Hmm. Like there's like a history of the underworld. So it starts off as something until Hades changes it with the dark curse to make it look like this rundown Bizarro storybook. And maybe the longer the Scooby gang is there saving souls, it starts to go back to that point A. Maybe. Now, Gareth Gray had an interesting theory here. He said, It is good to know that Hades has his reasons for the underworld looking like Storybrooke, even if he has not yet shared them. There are a lot of parallels beyond the physical ones that might give us some clues. Storybrooke was created to address Regina's unfinished business with Snow White. Perhaps Hades created the underworld due to some of his own unfinished business. Perhaps he was trying to capture one or more specific people, or maybe he wanted to give himself a kingdom to rule, having been denied Olympus. The Dark Curse may contain remnants of what was used to create the underworld. I like that theory that he created the Dark Curse to create his own world. So maybe Hades didn't have the underworld at all before he created the Dark Curse. So he created the underworld. I think that's a really interesting theory. I have a question, though, (laughs) and it kind of goes back to that fine line we were just talking about, which is, if there was no underworld, where did people go when they died? (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, was it just the worst place and the better place, and he created the the way station in between? Because that could mm. be possible. Yeah. Because that that place he can rule, or maybe he didn't even create. Well, no, I have to believe that he created it because it looks terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because that place he can rule. Maybe he got jealous of his brother, his baby brother. Who, you know, got to live in Olympus and he's like, well, I'm going to go create my own place where I can rule and it's going to deny you all your souls because they have to stay with me forever. Yeah. And uh, that was something else that Gareth suggested is that Hades has his own unfinished business, probably with his brother Zeus. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. So then Hades unfinished business is resolving his conflict, probably with Zeus. Then he moves on. Does he get to go back to Olympus? (laughs) maybe and maybe kind of like regina eventually got her happy ending and that was emma's goal is to bring everyone's happy ending including regina's maybe emma's new goal is bring even hades his happy ending which just sounds ridiculously corny (laughs) it it really does like suddenly he'll be dressed in a white suit instead of a black one (laughs) (laughs) drinking a white wine instead of a red wine yeah (laughs) he'll have a like a little pet poodle as opposed to cerberus (laughs) (laughs) a little three-headed pet poodle a little three-headed pet poodle but speaking of three heads there are three gravestones there that hook has to carve someone's name into it the next time the heroes help someone leave the underworld and hook has to decide who so is it limited to three or was it just that was hades decided i'll make three stones well three Three people have left. It's one per. But he said, from now on, anyone who leaves. Oh. Yeah, because I was thinking initially, oh, yeah, three people left, three stones. Actually, technically, four people left. Just one of them went to somewhere worse. And the clock only ticked once. Unless, like, we saw one tick on the clock tower, and then the other tick was on the clock down in Hades' uh, chamber. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is that crisis for Hook of, okay, he's being forced to choose. Will he actually end up choosing? It's not like someone can telepathically say, shoot my daughter. She can reheal. Shoot my daughter. She can reheal to him. Side note to another great TV show. I'm about to say, did you just reference heroes? (laughs) I did. (laughs) So will he choose and whom will he choose? If he chooses, see, I very much doubt that Adam and Eddie are going to take one of their leading men, however you may feel about him, and make him carve the names of someone in that group onto that tombstone. Because when you sit and think about it, all those people are parents and a child. If Hook did that, if he carved the name of, let's say, Robin Hood, Charming, and Rumple on those gravestones and you know it would be rumple and then they went and they saved him i mean how do you how do you justify that how do you rationalize that how do you you know how do you say yes it's okay that these heroes went and they got him but the price was the cost of three people who are husbands wives mothers fathers 13 year old child and what hades is implying here is that one of the heroes will have to stay not just anyone. Right. Yeah, it's not three red shirts. It's three of our guys. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I have no doubt that they're going to get him out of this situation before he takes his hook and starts to carve away. But it is something that I'm interested to see if he considers it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially because I'm sure while Cerberus is quite terrifying, I have no doubt there are worse things that Hades can do to you. What I could imagine Hook doing is carving his own name in order to let Emma leave. I mean, that's the heroic thing to do. That's the, mm-hmm. the noble thing to do. There are those those moral dilemma questions, like you're on a, a boat drifting in the middle of the sea. You only have enough food for two people, and there are three people in the boat. There's this hated person and this hated person, and you have a gun with only one bullet. Who do you shoot? Well, there's always that option of, I shoot me, help let the other two people live. Mm-hmm. Not many people think about that. Hook could be facing a decision like that. Yeah. And if he carves his name, is he prevented from carving two others? I mean, does he automatically go to, I don't know, would he go to the worst place? Because he still is a dark one. No. I think not. he would stay in the underworld. That seemed to be what Hades was saying is these people will stay here. But what I, what I really think will probably happen is he will be in the process of carving someone's name and we may not get to see whose name it is that he's carving because he'll be stopped, he'll be rescued by that time or something will happen by that time. We'll see. So what do you think is going on with Once Upon a Time? We would love your feedback. Now, this does conclude our discussion for this episode of Once Upon a Time, but you're free to continue the discussion by commenting on our show notes over at oncepodcast.com slash 233. That's also where you can go to share this episode with all of your friends. And we'd love it if you would share this episode out because that's really the best way that you can help the podcast to grow, to improve. And also, if you hear anyone talking about Once Upon a Time and saying, I just can't figure out what's going on with this show about Once Upon a Time and Prince Charming and and Hades and all of this stuff. I just can't figure it out. You will be doing them a favor by telling them about the podcast because it will make sense for them. It will be like helping them to go to a better place. I'm not saying that our podcast will usher them into Olympus or heaven, but (laughs) it'll help them sleep better at night, maybe, if they're struggling with these thoughts about Once Upon a Time. So please share this episode. Press the social sharing buttons on the website, as well as tell people about this podcast. Please send us your feedback for each episode of the TV show after it airs so we can try and incorporate it into our full discussion episodes. Our contact information is on the website at oncepodcast.com, as well as our live page, the schedule for our live episodes, like when we do the live chats on Sunday nights and our live initial reactions, and then our Wednesday night full discussions and other things that we have going on. It's all there with the forums and much more at oncepodcast.com. So please go there, send us some feedback through the website, through email, through phone, through voice message on the website, anything that works for you. And we'd love to hear your theories about what's going on and incorporate those into our upcoming full discussions about the episodes. So remember to join us on Sunday nights during the live shows in Eastern or Central time by going to oncepodcast.com slash live and then stick around for the podcast shortly after that and connect with us on Twitter at oncepodcast. And you can connect with each of us individually as well. I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87. And our other co-hosts, 
Twitter handles are also on the website at oncepodcast.com. This podcast really would not be possible without your kind support and our great team of volunteers making each episode a reality. Special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback. And by the way, congratulations to Corbin on his recent promotion to entertainment editor. Big congratulations for that. Also, thanks to Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul moderating the forums, Keb managing our timeline, our co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting the podcast with me and for you being part of this great community. And until next time, you stole my apple. What do you think happens when you steal from a witch? Witch? And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to be one of them, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast, episode 514, Devil's Due. Hook's captivity takes a dark turn when Hades threatens to condemn him to the river of lost souls after Hook refuses to choose which three of his friends will have to remain in the underworld. Meanwhile, Gold is suddenly eager to help Emma, Snow, David, Regina, Robin, and Henry find Hook so he can return home to Belle. But in order to do so, he must find his ex-wife Mila. In Fairytale Land flashbacks, Rumple and Mila face a life-or-death crisis concerning their son, Balefire, that forces Rumple to make a deal that will haunt him. Written by Jane Espenson, directed by Alric Riley. We've got a lot of guest stars. We do. Some really fun ones. Um, Grumpy, Granny, and Cruella are all back. Lee Arenberg, Beverly Clearly, and Victoria Smurfit are all back. Mm-hmm. We have Rachel Shelley returning as Mila, whom we haven't seen since season two. Dean Petri as young Balefire, and this is a new Balefire. The other ones who have played him are a little too old for the time period that they're going for. Okay, because I was going to research that, and I just didn't get a chance to. Yeah. Aaron Douglas as Fendrake the Healer. Gavin Cook as (laughs) Drunken Lout. And Greg German, of course, as Hades. Yeah. And I swear Drunken Lout is his name in the show. It is what it says in the press release, yeah. So imagine getting that part. Who are you? I'm the drunken lout. (laughs) (laughs) So we got a promo, of course, after the last episode. And it looks like Rumples and Hades meet, finally. And they talk about the deal that was made. Yeah, so there's definitely some history between Rumple and Hades. It looks, I'm not going to lie, really interesting. Yeah. Greg German and Bobby Carlisle, just from the promo, have, they play off each other really, really well. So that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. Um, We've got Hades and Hook. It looks like there's going to be a lot of Hades and Hook. Yeah. Or Hades says that he's going to collect all of Hook's friends and hurt them, and everyone pays the price. I was very confused with that. 
So was I. I don't know why everyone would pay a price if he just wants to collect three people. Right. And it looks like Emma finally finds Hook, but she has to rescue him. And as he's being lowered into the River of Lost Souls. Yes, which it looks like they've taken their cue from the Disney film and it's green and has floating souls in it. Yeah, I that I thought that was weird because isn't the River of the Lost... Okay, so let's move on to the sneak peek because this is where I get confused. Okay. So you see all those rivers, right? I'm guessing this is going to be the opening of the episode because it looked like that was the one... The sneak peek we had last week was the first scene of the new episode. Yeah, that's tend to be how it's going lately. So it looks like you see that all the really fun colors of that river again. So I'm guessing that whole thing is the rivers of lost souls. I don't know if it's just one of the colors is a river of lost soul. I don't know. That's where I'm confused. Yeah, because when Hades takes Hook over to the river and threatens him, aren't they looking at the yellow one? Yes. But in the promo, they're very clearly lowering him into the green one. Yeah, so I was confused with that whole thing. I don't know. This is not part of Greek mythology. I'm not sure. Then what good are you? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know. If I had to guess, it's probably the river Styx, but I don't know why we feel the need to call it a different name when they've been using Hades, Olympus, Hercules, all the good quality Greek names. Okay, so yeah, so we see all the really cool colored rivers, because I really like that. I think they did an excellent job with this set. And it's Hades making Hook choose three friends to stay in the underworld, but of course, Hook doesn't want to. And Hades is very disappointed and angry, and takes Hook to solitary confinement for not choosing. This is a really fun scene. Like, it sounds dark, because obviously Hades is threatened to threatening hook but it's actually a very fun scene because greg german just kills it as hades i really does i'm loving him this season and it's like it sounds really dark but then he like throws in like a smile or something right. like he makes the character so twisted it's uh -huh. awesome yeah i think this is going to be a really good episode yeah and we get a little bit more information about the river greg german or hades says do not touch the river of lost souls because it'll reduce you to a mindless person. It's a little backstory on the river, I guess. And like I said, I'm not sure what the different colors mean, but they are facing the yellow river. Yeah. Hopefully they kind of flesh out the world of the underworld a little bit more. And we learn uh, more about that, that place. Yeah. Cause it's kind of interesting. Yeah. And we got a lot of set photos, but they didn't really show us anything. <laughs> they're all really of the past. Yeah. They're in the flashback. Yeah. We do see a lot of Mila. Mm -hmm. And there are quite a number of pictures of Fendrake the Healer, played by Aaron Douglas, who most of you out there probably know as Chief from Battlestar Galactica. That's what I'm I'm hoping they throw in a reference to that somewhere, because it would just be awesome. I never saw Battlestar Galactica. I don't know that we can be friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's on my list of things to watch. Okay, okay. Acceptable. But we do see a lot of Baby Balefire. He's, what would you say, maybe four, five? Yeah. I. He's pretty I young. This he's is pretty, pretty young. young. And they're playing in a field. And what I think happens is that he gets bit by a snake. Because there is one picture where Rumpel, Mila, 
and the healer are all together, and Mila is holding a very obviously CGI snake where they're going to insert a digital snake later because you see, like, this blue thing that she's holding. Um, yeah. So I think little baby Balefire gets bit by a snake. And that might be where the deal comes in. Yes. Because if he's made a deal with Hades in the past, then that means someone was going to die and he saved Balefire. Yes. One of the theories that's kind of floating around right now from Matthew Paul is that Hades and Rumble or Hades and Rumple and Fendrake made this deal that they would save Balefire this one time, but that was it. He couldn't ever be saved if he was in a life-or-death situation again. It kind of explains Rumple's very overprotective nature of Balefire, mm-hmm. like not letting him go off to the Ogre Wars. And then it would explain why Rumple never tried to resurrect Neil after he died back in 315. Oh, very true. So I'm hoping that we get some answers here about yeah. some stuff. Yeah, that Fendrake the Healer, doesn't he look very weird? Yes, they are taking a lot of different cultures and kind of mashing them together. Yeah, he's got like this tattoo. I can't tell if it's tattoo or makeup on his – well, I know it's makeup, but I don't know if it's supposed to be like a tattoo on his face, and it's like all over his face. It is all over I think it's supposed to be Woad, W-O-A-D. It's some um, sort of reminiscent of Britain slash the Scottish Highlands way, way back in the day. Um, like when Caesar invaded England, you know, they would sort of paint their or tattoo their faces with these kind of blue markings. If you've ever seen Braveheart, there is a scene where Mel Gibson um, has like half his face painted. So, yeah. And. So Fendrake also has this necklace and it's made of teeth. Right. Or bone or something because some of those teeth were awfully long. Yeah. Unless they were animal teeth, but they were weird. Yeah, they're kind of going for just a universal shaman feel, I think. Yeah. And we do get to see Rumple before he became the Dark One. Yeah. No green scaly face. It's been quite a while. It's been a long time. Probably since we last saw Mila, like season two. So Manhattan... Yeah. Yeah. We have a big casting news. Yes. Uh, we told you guys last week that they were casting t- the role of two brothers who will feature in the last couple episodes of season five and then move into season six for a story arc. They have been cast. Yep. Nathaniel will be one of the brothers will be played by Hank Harris. Um, he has a lot of guest spots, but he's known for playing Emery Dick in the TV show Popular. Never saw it. Ne- me either. And Sorry. I was looking at his guest spots, and he has a lot of them. I think he did Smallville. No, not Smallville. Sorry. Supernatural. He was oh, okay. on that show. He was on, I think he did an episode of Battlestar Galactica. Like, there's a lot of shows that he's been on, but he's never really had a big part, except for this one from Popular. Okay. And then Jacob, the other role, will be played by Sam Witwier, who has some spots on uh, Being Human, uh, a show back a couple years ago on sci-fi. Yeah. Here's the thing about these two roles. I had kind of speculated that they were going to be the Brothers Grimm, and some other people had some ideas about Mufasa and Scar, some of these very mythic Disney figures. It turns out they are being cast as mental patients in a mental hospital. 
And this fits how? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea what this has to do with season six or kind of just with Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Unless they're in the basement of the hospital. Maybe. And Price of Magic has suggested that they might be Jekyll and Hyde. Well, isn't Jekyll and Hyde the same person, though? They are. And her thing is that instead of it being the same person, like maybe their curse was that the split personality actually became like two separate people. But hmm. I don't I don't know. It's, I guess, possible, but they might just be fully original characters. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool because we haven't seen any of those in a long time. Right. Except for Emma. <laughs> yeah. Except for the lead star. <laughs> well, I know, but I'm just saying like every other character in the show is based off a fairy tale character or mythological or something like that. Yeah. So they are filming the finale. So hopefully here in the next few weeks, we'll have some more information about where we're going because I have no idea. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It is. So we did get two new, the last two episode titles for you guys. Yeah, the last two. 522, Only You, will be written by David H. Goodman and Andrew Chambliss. Mm-hmm. And the season finale for season five, episode 523, is called An Untold Story, and it's written by Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz. Yeah. It's still so weird because we still have like a whole half a season to go. I know. We've we've only seen two episodes and they are almost done filming. Yeah. Going to be crazy. We're going to hopefully get lots of stuff though. Yeah, hopefully. Okay. So Entertainment Weekly had their normal hot seat. So we got the yes and no's and the very generic answers again. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a whole lot really in this hot seat. A lot of the answers were can't say. And that usually means either they are going that direction, but they don't want to spoil it, or they honestly haven't thought of a story or an answer yet, so they're just not going to say anything. Yes. So, but we got a couple of them. Um, will the clo- the fallen clock tower have an important role in this arc? It's pretty much Eddie Kitts has said it's, it's symbolic role. And then Adam, of course, says, yes, it does. <laughs> it's so... You know, they're they're so on point with their answers. I know, right? <laughs> um, will the five rivers that we saw in Hades' cave play a role in the back half of the season? Adam said yes, and it looks like we are going to see at least one of those rivers play a part in this week's Devil's Due. Mm-hmm. Will we see Regina's childhood? Adam says yes. And, of course, we do know that episode 519 is sisters, and they cast a young Regina and young Zelina. So we will get to see it um, pretty soon, actually. Yeah. And then the big question, will there be a death in this arc? Eddie said, yes, there will be. And Adam said, probably. Um, and then Eddie goes, there will be. Yeah. They wanted to say, but they didn't. And For what it's worth, that question gets asked at least once a season. And they always say yes. But for the most part, it usually refers to a red shirt, you know, a guard who dies. Right. Um, But with TV Line's Blind Item that we talked about last week, a lot of the set photos that we covered last week, I'm still convinced that Robin Hood is going to die. And we did get some more set photos because pretty much that's all the main news we have. So we're going to talk about some set photos that we got. Yeah. So let's go with episode 521 first. It's, for what it's worth... 
just a heads up, they're filming a lot out of order. Because they've shot stuff for the finale, and then they're going back, and they keep shooting stuff from other seasons because they're trying to accommodate a couple people's schedules. Yes. Because it looks like Merida's there on set for 521. Yeah. And since she wasn't supposed to be there till the finale, so I'm guessing they were f- filming things all together so that way she could, they could work with her and then get her away. Yeah. And we also see Robin playing with Roland. Yeah. Now, I'm wondering if this is them showing him happy and his life is complete before they kill him off. Because if you ever notice in TV shows, sometimes they'll like, they like conclude the person's storyline before they kill them off. Right. Like, oh, you're, you're pregnant. You're, the wife's pregnant and they're getting ready to have the baby and everyone's so happy and explosion and now the dad's dead. Right. So, I mean, it happens more often than I'd like to admit. <laughs> <laughs> it does. So I'm I'm wondering if that had something to do with it. Yes. For 522, we've got a couple different things. So they recreated their New York City set that mm-hmm. we've seen a couple times. And we have three cast members on that set. Um, Rumple is there. We do see Henry. He's getting off a bus. And the, there's a girl in a pink coat who has been identified as Violet. From yes. the first half of the season. So she's returning. Yeah. And I just think it's weird. I don't know why they're in New York. Yeah. Because, like, the set photos from the finale, they're back in New York as well. And I'm just like, why are they in New York again? Yeah, I don't know. I I really don't know. Because, you know, last week we got that twist in Henry's story that now apparently, as the author, he can do things that he was told... He couldn't? I always knew there was a way for him. I knew that there had to have been a way. So, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on. And I don't know how this plays into this whole mental institution arc that's coming. Unless he puts everyone in the underworld in a mental institution. Oh, good. That'll be... (laughs) That'll be cheerful. (laughs) So, we also see... I'm calling it an Asian door, but I'm guessing it's the same door from Camelot. I didn't do that much looking into it. Camelot or Arendelle? No, it's like the one that the sisters walk through. So remember how they went up to that door in the middle of the room and they just walked through? Yes, That's Arendelle. Okay. Right, but I'm just saying the the door that they have now, it looked Asian to me. It did. And I mean, people, I think someone I saw online, someone said, oh, it's like the door to Camelot, but it didn't look... Like, it didn't look medieval. Right, right. Which, it looked Asian to me. And it does look like they maybe get sucked through the doorway. Because, like, you, at one point, there was a picture of Snow. She's half through the door, but she's, like, holding on to the side, I think. Yeah. So, it's like they get sucked through to a portal to another world, because that's how the show rolls. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because they have to go to another world to keep the show going. (laughs) But apparently we're going to a mental institution. I don't know what that means. (laughs) But, like I said, it's very Asian looking, and they have it in the middle of the street. Yeah. It kind of... So, I don't know if that's the way to and from the underworld. I have no clue, guys. I'm really sorry. Yep. I got I got nothing. And then, of course, we talked about the filming that was going on in the graveyard last mm-hmm. week. Um, I, at this point, am just waiting for confirmation in some way that it is Sean McGuire leaving. 
Well, I don't know. I don't know who posts all these set photos because I just see them all. But underneath one of them, I think it was one of the graveyard ones. They're like, everyone's here except Sean. Yep. And then there's another one with little John and Roland walking around. And it said underneath after a very emotional goodbye scene. Mm-hmm. So to me, I'm like, well, if little John and Roland are there. Who else would they be saying goodbye to? Yes, exactly. I agree. Because if it was any other character, little John probably wouldn't have been there. And they wouldn't have dealt with Roland being on set either. Because kids, actors have a lot of rules that they have to follow. (laughs) Yeah. That's why you don't see them very often. So, yeah, that's a lot of set photos with a lot to think about. Yep. And we'll have more next week as they keep filming. They're, They're getting ready to wrap up. So maybe next week we'll actually have some more photos that um tell us where we're going in the future yeah because i would really i wonder if that door has anything to play with it or if that's a door tuned from the underworld i don't know i don't know yeah because the <laughs> the door is like right outside of any given sunday i think which was ingrid's shop yeah and since it does look like the one that goes to arendelle i don't know no the one for arendelle was a lot more intricate it had all, like, the Norwegian, like, flowery symbols on the sides. Oh. Okay, well, there's a door in the middle of a road, so who knows? <laughs> okay. Well, that's all we have for you this week. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, monsters.